back to this afternoon. It's just gone five o'clock and you're listening to BBC Radio 3. It's time now to join Charles Hazelwood for a taste of South American passion in today's Discovering Music.
underworld song, Song of Buenos Aires. There's something inside you that lives and is everlasting. Underworld song, lament of bitterness, smile of hope, sob of passion. This is the tango, the song of Buenos Aires. Born in the suburbs, today queen of the whole world. Those words from the Song of Buenos Aires by Manuel Romero, written in 1933, a time when tango fever had reached the height of its popularity, both in Argentina and throughout the world. And the tango is very much the form as a dance, as a piece of music that we explore in the session today. Now, what is tango if not synonymous with sensuality? It's also synonymous in a way with death, tremendous sense of dance of death. Think of some of those paintings by Edvard Munch. Think of movies like Last Tango in Paris, which stars Marlon Brando, a tale of doomed love which ends in destruction. And more recently, Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. You remember that great police classic uh, by the name of Roxanne, which gets put through the tango mill and becomes a vessel for extreme, even insane, desire. Now, we just played you Mala Junta, which is a great tango made specially in an arrangement for us by Alejandro Schwartz, the original authors of that piece, Julio De Caro and Pedro Lorenz. Mala Junta means bad people. So already we have a sense that this is a form which was born out of the slums, born out of the suburbs, low born people's music. But of course, everyone likes a bit of bad in them, which is why very quickly this form spread to all the politest of salons across Europe and America in the early part of the 20th century. I was playing with the BBC Concert Orchestra leader Charles Mutter and a group of five amazing tango exponents who are known collectively as Tango Volcano. I'd like to introduce to you Lucy Waterhouse, the violinist, Lucy Hare, the double bassist, Ninon Foire, bandonianist, Nigel Woodhouse, guitarist, and Roger Davison on piano. Right, well, Lucy Waterhouse first. Let's get right down to basics. There's more than one type of tango, is there not? Yes. There are three types of tango. The one that perhaps everyone all knows in 4-4. Four, four. And then there's a tango waltz, which obviously is in three. And the milonga, which is in 2-4. And that can go much faster. And presumably within those three permutations, there's endless room for variation and further different approaches. Of course, of course. You could have a slow milonga, a very slow sensual in two. You can have a faster tango in four. And anyway, the tango waltz tends to go a bit faster than most of us would think of a Viennese waltz, for say. It surprised me immediately when I found out that a tango has a waltz form. It's not something I instantly or even occasionally associated with tango. But indeed, it is a tango waltz that we're about to hear now in the shape of a piece called Flor de Lino, played by our guest today, Tango Volcano. Now, Nino Fuare, you're the bandonianist. Uh, for a start, let's talk about the bandonian. It looks like an accordion, except, of course, it doesn't have a piano-like keyboard. Yeah, that's probably the first difference. It's not at all like an accordion, I have to say. <laughs> for a bandonian player to use the term accordion for a bandonian is forbidden. But basically, uh, what's happening, it works a bit like a piano in terms of, of the keys, which is every single key 
there is only a sound instead of the, the accordion, which when you can press a button, which gives a chord on the left hand. Here, my left hand is just... But the very, very specific thing of the bandonion is that there is no logic in the keyboard. And there's 70 keys altogether and no logic. I'll just play you a row of buttons. The same for pushing. Not a lot of logic in that. Well, the bandonian, of course, is an absolutely key element to the texture, to the very sound of any tango band, and that is never more true than here in Tango Volcano. Let's now hear a performance of Flor de Lino, which is by Hector Stamponi. Tango Volcano with an old traditional tango waltz by the name of Flor de Lino. Now we're going to go right to the other end of the spectrum now with another piece arranged for us by Alejandro Schwartz of a very modern tango which is known as A Fuego Lento by the Argentinian composer Horacio Salgan. And uh, the issue here, more than anything else, is that this music is too fast to dance to. A real sense that the tango has sort of grown wings and flown, what started out as a very earthy type of dance has of course become a whole series of pieces of music in its own right. 
Now, there's something, Nino Fuaro, that uh, it's worth just mentioning here, something to do with the phrasing. Normally, when you have two notes grouped together, phrased together in music, you expect to play strong, weak. But curiously, in a tango, it's much more extreme than that. Yes. In a tango, if you've got actually an accent, a slur and a dot, instead of playing just you're going to do So the second one is nearly not existing. Very piani, piani, pianissimo. That's what makes the bounce and actually the passion of tango is, is partly through that. It's partly uh, taking away the cream before you've had a chance to get at it. In both the pieces that you've heard performed so far today, right at the end of the piece, on the cadence, the closing point of the sentence, where you'd normally expect, amen, as Ninon says, you get, ah, the men hardly exist, exists at all. So here is a thoroughly avant-garde, a thoroughly modern tango called A Fuego Lento.
Now, Lucy here, Lucy Waterhouse was talking just now about uh, the different types of tango, and one very specific one is the milonga. Now, that's two in a bar, yes? That's right. Now, um, it's curious that this number that, that we're about to hear you play, Nocturna by Julian Plaza, um, has almost more of an African feel about it. How do you explain that? Um, well, tango famously came over probably with the slaves from Africa over to Argentina on the ships. Nobody quite knows the real origin of tango. But this milonga, this particular tango, has a very different feel to it. And it relates very closely to the habanera rhythm, which I think, were you going to show? Yes, that? I have a little example of that. The most obvious and most famous example of the habanera is that uh, in that amazing aria for Carmen of Bizet's opera. As far as we know, the origins of the habanera, it's a Cuban dance. So we think it originated there, but certainly very quickly it became popular in Spain. And then through its popularity in Spain, it gradually worked its way back down to Latin American countries once again, and certainly found its way to Argentina in one form or another. Anyhow, I'm just going to show you, just to remind you of how that famous habanera begins. Now, that's how it looks on the page. But in fact, in order to make a, a habanera lift off, you need to give an awful lot more weight to the second note that is performed, like this. And so on. So that very characteristic rhythm which lies at the heart of the habanera, has definitely some kind of family resemblance to the milonga, but the milonga is slightly different, yes, Lucy? So we have a similar rhythm, but we weight it in a different way. We put the weight on the fourth quaver of the bar, so it comes out almost limped. You'll hear it, we'll play it with the piano. So it has a different feel to it. Um, something I'd like to say about the milonga also is it's a type of tango with this feel. It's also an event, a dance, a dance hall. It's where you go to dance milonga, a bit like a keili or something. You, you dance a keili and you go to a keili. It's similar. And the milonga was really associated to the music of the gauchos, which are the Argentinian cowboys. It's their music. It's interesting, there's a quote I picked up by a man called Ventura Lynch, who was a 19th century student of dances and folklore, particularly in Buenos Aires. And he said that uh, by the 1880s, this milonga dance was absolutely ubiquitous in downtown Buenos Aires. And he said, the milonga is so universal in the environs of the city that it's an obligatory piece at all the lower class dances. And it's now heard on guitars, on paper combs, and from the itinerant musicians with their flutes, harps, and violins. Its sound is that of the habanera dance. It's danced in the low-life clubs around the markets, and also at the dances and wakes of cart drivers, the soldiery, compadres, and compadritos. So here is a great milonga, Nocturna, Tango Volcano.
Nocturna by Julian Plaza, performed by Tango Volcano. Well, it seems uh, we've gone far enough on this journey already. We need to get some sense of the history of this great and noble musical dance form. Nino, how did it become something that, that took the world by storm, given that it was originally just the favorite dance and music of pimps and prostitutes in downtown Buenos Aires? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think that in tango you've got all the um, elements which makes it a great music because it's a mixed music. It comes from lots of different influences. You've got the influence of black African people which were like grandsons of slaves in, in Buenos Aires. And you've got as well lots of people coming from Europe. In, it's, it's around 1850s, Argentina is very rich. And people in Europe actually are seeking for some work, especially Italian, Spanish, a bit of Portuguese, a few French, not much. And they all go in Argentina, and actually the population of Argentina doubled at that time. And they all arrive in the port of Argentina, which is Buenos Aires, and the, the port opposite on the, on the river, which is Montevideo. So tango was born in the city in mixing all this fantastic rhythm of milonga and as well all the, the native rhythm of Argentina. And, and I think that's why it's, it managed to take the world over after that. It's because it's very complex music and can express so many different things. And tango basically, it's a music of exiled people, of people arriving in a country to seek some job of just at the beginning, mostly men who are, you know, looking for money for their family, leaving their wife behind, and, or their mum, depending. And then they arrive there, and actually they don't find what they're looking for, which is always the case, even today. So they're always looking towards Europe, thinking, oh, wow, that, I'd love to be there with my family. And I just want to say that the main themes of tango are this exile thing, are broken love, or, or their love is in Europe, or they don't manage to find a wife because there's not enough women. And I think that is what can catch the audience here as well, is all this passion. But it's a mixed feeling because in the same time you've got the passion for life. They want to live, they want to have a family. In the same time, there is this deep feeling of sadness to have left the country. And, and I think that it's, it's feelings that we all feel here, love, death, passion. It's something which is terribly human. And there's a strong sense of, therefore of escape in this music and yes. in this dance. Um, yeah. And in fact, it's I'm sure no coincidence that during the dark days of the Third Reich and the concentration camps of Europe, tango was the one musical form and dance form which was not prohibited amongst the prisoners. Jazz was completely off limits because the Nazis saw it as decadent. But somehow what they saw as the kind of innocent escapism enshrined in tango caused them to allow it to exist in a very quiet kind of a way. So the period of time that Nino is talking about is really the late 19th century. And it exploded across Buenos Aires by the turn into the 20th century. And then by 1910, it had hit Paris, which is somewhat at the head of the race at this point in time. London, however, and other European cities, and indeed American cities, were not far behind. But it caused a great deal of consternation, not least this point that I made earlier, because people perceived the tango as to be something associated with lower-born folk. I want to read you an extraordinary letter that someone who described herself only as a peeress 
wrote to the Times in May 1913. I'm not going to attempt to do her voice because I'm sure you'll be able to imagine it. I am one of the many matrons upon whom devolves the task of guiding a girl through the mazes of the London season. And I'm face to face with the state of affairs in most, but not all of the ballrooms, calling for the immediate attention of those in like case. My grandmother has always told me of the shock she experienced on first beholding the polka. But I wonder what she would have said had she been asked to introduce a well brought up girl of 18 to the scandalous travesties of dancing, which are, for the first time in my recollection, bringing more young men to parties than are needed. I would only ask hostesses to let one know what houses to avoid by indicating in some way on their invitation card whether the tango shall be permitted. Well, without further ado, let's get into another fantastic traditional tango from Tango Volcano. This one is called Felicia. It's by Enrique Sabarido, and it gives you a tremendous sense of the four to the floor, four in a bar, glorious tango in its pure form. There's not even any introduction.
Felicia, played by Tango Volcano. Well, we had an example of a tango waltz a little earlier on. Let's play another one for you now. This is another arrangement made for the entire orchestra by Alejandro Schwartz, especially for us today. And it's a piece by Annabel Troilo called Romance de Barrio. You know, Troilo is a very important figure in the, the genesis of tango, isn't he? Yes, very important. It's, it's actually a bit later than the very genesis. It's more in the golden age of tango, which is in the 40s. That's when the tango is really the most popular in Argentina. It's very supported by the state, and you can find orchestras with up to eight bandoneons to fill the room with the sound, two double bass, a massive violin, that sort of massive sound, because there will be maybe a hall as big as today, full of dancers dancing then and so Trollo is a very he's a very important figure and gave birth to lots of different styles including the big great composer Piazzolla and it's uh, Piazzolla was a bandonian player as Trollo was and Piazzolla discovered the bandonian through Trollo learned all the part actually by here and one day Trollo was looking for a bandonian player and Piazzolla started working with him and that's where Piazzolla did his first arrangements for tango. That's the first time he actually put his hands into the tango. Well, the Romance de Barrio uh, dates from 1947, and it is one of Troilo's great, uh, great tango waltzes. Um, now, the Barrio is a part of Buenos Aires, am I right? Yeah, uh, Buenos Aires, there is uh, uh, something saying... Cien Barrios de Buenos Aires, which means 100 quarters of Buenos Aires. And as, again, as people that have been exiled from their country, where they live is very important and that they're where their roots are. So the barrio is something they're very attached to.
Romance de Barrio, ladies and gentlemen. Well, now I think it's time we turned our attention to more what you might call concert hall composers and what their reaction was to this amazing and, dare I say it, sexy new form in music and dance. Well, as I was saying earlier, it flooded uh, up and across various oceans and continents and arrived in Europe around about the end of the first decade of the 20th century. Well, by 1918, no lesser a composer than Igor Stravinsky had become well aware of the tango form, the tango style, and was very keen to include it in a new work of his, a very small scale, but a piece that packs a huge punch, a piece of music theatre entitled L'Histoire du Soldat, The Soldier's Tale, which is composed in 1918 and designed to be performed by a very small handful of individuals, because, of course, money was scarce in the, uh, the wake of the First World War. It's basically the story of Faust, and at the point that the tango occurs in this piece is a very specific and key point. The soldier, who is portrayed by the fiddle, the violin, in the soldier's tale, has heard that a king is offering the hand of his daughter in marriage to anyone who can get her out of bed. Now, it may be that she's just lying there because she's a bit of a slob. It may be she's lying there because somehow no one can rouse her, almost like Sleeping Beauty. So, what does the soldier do? He heads for the palace. He's allowed into the bedroom where the princess lies sleeping. And he begins to play, what else? A tango. If anything is going to get her out of bed, it must surely be this new-fangled form. Now, once again, you find the characteristic core ingredient of the tango embedded in the opening material that the violin and then subsequently the percussion have in this music. That sense of the very energized little note, the upbeat. Just have a listen to the beginning of it. Charles Mutter playing violin there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to ask him to play that once again, and I'm going to count out where the beats lie. Because, of course, Stravinsky wouldn't be Stravinsky if he didn't start immediately to mess with the genre, with the particular rhythmic makeup of this tango music. And one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Did you notice there that on the third bar, he deliberately drags the music back by just a quaver so that now suddenly it's hanging very, very doggedly and lazily behind the actual pulse of the music. So Stravinsky taking the tango to a place where it certainly had never been before and has rarely been since. We'll play now this tango to you from The Soldier's Tale. There is a part for percussion as well in the capable hands of Peter Beamond. Also clarinet, Michael Pierce.
The tango from Stravinsky's Soldier's Tale, a Russian composer trying the tango on for size. Now, how about the French? As I said, Paris was the first place where tango exploded outside of its native Argentina. One great French composer of that era, Darius Mio, immediately seized upon it for a piece he wrote called Le Boeuf sur le Toit, which means literally the bull on the roof. Slightly odd title, I know, but actually a title borrowed from a Brazilian pop song. Mio had spent the latter years of the First World War, he couldn't fight because of various health problems he had, so he spent that period of time in Brazil absorbing the rhythms, the music, the texture of that particular country. And of course, as we've been sort of alluding to earlier on, what was going on in Brazil was also effectively going on in Argentina, albeit couched in slightly different terms. And so when Mio came back to Paris at the tail end of the First World War, he was determined to write a piece which somehow summed up his sense, if not particularly of Brazil, then of Latin America as a whole. And of course, a piece like that had to have a tango in it. So we're going to play you now the tango from his Le Boeuf sur le Toit. It's a wonderful little confection, an arrangement made by Henri Mouton, uh, which... Uh, sort of cherry-picks all the tango-ish elements from what is otherwise more like a kind of 18-19 minute piece of theatre. Interestingly, it's called the tango dei Fratellini because the Fratellini brothers were a very famous circus clowning troupe in France at the time, and they were hired to take part in the first performance of this work. <laughs>
Well, ladies and gentlemen, moving from the great Darius Mio right back into the absolute heart of what we now consider and know to be tango at its finest. The music of Astor Piazzolla, who Ninon was saying, as she was saying earlier, started out life, cut his teeth, as it were, in a, as a bandoneonist in Annabel Troilo's band. And we're going to play two pieces of music from an opera, the only opera that Piazzolla wrote, which is called Maria de Buenos Aires. Now, Lucy Hare, immediately looking at this music, it's intriguing. It's a fugue. You don't expect to find fugue in tango. No. Uh, Astor Piazzolla was desperate to be a serious classical composer. And he, he was stuck in this tradition of tango with his bandoneon, uh, which is obviously uniquely tango, or was then. So he came over to Paris to study with Nadia Boulanger um, about to study classical composition. And she heard some of his compositions and said, yeah, very good. Can you just play me a tango? So he played her a tango and she said, go back to your tango. So he went back, but he took with him the classical composition techniques, such as the fugue. And ironically, it was Piazzolla that took the tango from the dance salons out into the concert hall. So tango to listen to. The interesting thing is that, that uh, as Lucy sort of suggested, the fugue for any, again the phrase, concert hall composer is like the high watermark of ambition and a sign of ability if you can do a good fugue. Just to refresh your memory or to tell you for the first time if you don't know what a fugue is, it is a very difficult mathematical construct in music whereby one voice, the first voice, comes in with an idea, let's call it the theme. Then at the point at which the second voice enters with what is known as the answer to that theme, it's the same theme but at a different pitch. So whilst the second voice is giving that same theme but at a different pitch, what we call the answer, the first voice is doing what we call the counter subject, which is a kind of further decoration of the answer figure. And then at a certain point, the third voice comes in with the first subject idea again, and so on and so forth. Very difficult thing to do and to bring off and make music at the same time as abiding by the rules. And the amazing thing is that Piazzolla does just that. So he was every bit a composer with classical credentials, the man that he aspired to be. Nino, something that's interesting about this fugue, though, is that it has some curious use of accent. Yes. We talked earlier on about the importance of the accent in tango music. And what Piazzolla does there, he's using them a lot, but not where you're expecting them. So although he's staying in four, which is the time signature of tango, you don't hear it really. Sometimes you, you don't know where the one is anymore because he's putting the accent off bit or on the four. Um, I will play you something like... hear that actually they're not just on the beat it's all very um huh. i don't know how to describe that <laughs> well it's just compelling isn't it and yes. again it forces you to want to move i bet there wasn't a person in this room who's in a gizzard at the very least wasn't just vibrating slightly in time with those peculiar but very piquant accents there's a further effect that you'll notice in this music which also you will have heard if you were listening carefully in certain pieces earlier on it's an effect or a technique known as chichara which uh, requires one string player or another, certainly in this case a violin, to play behind the bridge. It makes a very curious sound. Mm -hmm. To me, for that's for all the world like knicker elastic, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a very important and key part of the tango makeup. 
hear it and enjoy it. In this, the Fuga in Mysterio, and then the poem from Piazzolla's opera, Maria de Buenos Aires. Thank you. 
The Fuga e Misterio and Poema from Maria de Buenos Aires by Astor Piazzolla. Well, we stay with the great Piazzolla now for one final piece of his music. Um, it's in an arrangement, albeit, of uh, one section of four pieces he wrote, which are known really as the Buenos Aires Four Seasons. This one's called Verano Porteño, Verano meaning summer, Porteño meaning really literally the people, the good burghers of Buenos Aires. The people that it was said, certainly in the 19th century, these people were Italian, who spoke Spanish, who thought they were British, and wished they were French. It's a kind of a curious mixture of things, really, ladies and gentlemen. Anyhow, this is summer from Piazzolla's Seasons, and he makes unashamed borrowings from Vivaldi's concerto of the same name. It's almost pointless me even pointing that out. You will notice them when they occur, um, particularly towards the end, where he pours a certain amount of sulfuric acid on what poor old Vivaldi managed to achieve in his original. Isn't that true, Lucy? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we mustn't forget that this was Piazzolla's big piece for himself. You know, this is an arrangement of the quintet version, which actually Tango Volcano plays well. So where, I, where the bandonian would have the solo part. Exactly. So in some senses, you know, I'm, I'm making all sorts of weird sounds, and rather the, like the Vivaldi seasons, you know, one has a great open landscape to create whatever interpretation you want from what's on the page. And um, I, I get to sort of copy some of the squeezing and pulling and puffing and sliding and rattling and hitting and bumping and stamping, you know, uh, you'll hear it all.
Lucy Waterhouse, the soloist in Astor Piazzolla's Verano Porteño. Now, butting up against that, we thought we might perform something thoroughly modern by way of a slow milonga. It's called Milonga Azure, and it's by the British composer Graham Lynch. Again, you get that sense of the habanera rhythm. A quality of three and three and two. In other words, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That characteristic feel or vibe which is so enshrined in the tango and is known as the clave rhythm. Isn't that right, Lucy? That's right. Um, I have to say I checked that out with one of our uh, percussionists today. And it's the root of a lot of uh, South American music is this three, three, two feel. And you'll hear that in a very slow form in this piece. It was written for us as a quintet by Graham Lynch, who lives down in Penzance, and he's made this wonderful lush string and bandonion arrangement um, for the orchestra. And his instruction when we received this piece was to imagine yourself in Penzance on the edge of the sea, sitting there with a glass of wine, watching the waves lapping in on the Penzance shore on one of those really hot summer afternoons that we get so many of, ladies and gentlemen. So for what is effectively a little bandonian concerto, we have uh, Ninon Foire with us once again, and the orchestra, the BBC Concert Orchestra.
Nino Fuare, the bandoneonist with the BBC Concert Orchestra, in that performance of Milonga Azure by Graham Lynch. Okay, it's time for us to hear a syncopated tango, I think. This is one that Tango Volcano are going to play on their own, and it's called Danserin. It has an effect in it, which I think, Lucy, you call arrestre. Arrestre means dragged, and you've probably heard me do this. I, instead of just playing the notes straight, I drag up to them. So it gives it that extra energy. And that is called a rest tray. Now there's another technique that uh, Lucy you've been using on and off which I particularly admire, which is like a kind of a three slap pizzicato. It's like, I don't know what, explain how you do it and what it is. It's great fun. <laughs> and uh, yes, you can just highlight moments. I did it at the end of the fast milonga. I don't know if you remember that. And in the four seasons we just played, there were two of us at it. So that was a great sound. I, I slap the bow on the string as well like that. Sometimes I do little things like that. And sometimes I, I also pizzicato with all my fingers. Sometimes with the notes, sometimes without. So let's have a syncopated tango as Tango Volcano performed Dancerin by Julian Plaza.
Tango Volcano with Dan Serin. Lucy Hare, in brief, it occurs to me we haven't spoken very much about the tango as a dance form. It's, it's like, a bit like learning jazz. You learn, or learning a language, you spend years learning the language or the steps, and only then can you have a conversation. So the tango is completely improvised. The only time there's really choreography is the big shows you see in the West End. Otherwise, it's entirely improvised dance. And the man leads and the woman follows, but that's misleading as well because really the man opens an opportunity, the woman takes that opportunity, and the man's next lead will be a response to whatever she's done. Again, a bit like a conversation. If you determine what you're going to do, you have a very dull conversation, at least for one person. So it's very much a two-way conversation. And um, Borges des described the tango as a heart dancing on four legs. Well, before we play our final piece for you today, uh, there is time for some questions. You haven't really mentioned the importance of the singer, the tango singer, the poetry of the words in many tangos, which, which speaks so much about being away from home, losing a love, uh, all those sorts of things. There's, there's a big tradition in the, in the words. And uh, my wife is from Argentina. I'm sure she would be shocked, and her compatriots, that you haven't mentioned Carlos Gardel, that's the god for them. It, it has been a big part of the, the reason why tango has expanded so far. There had been a great, great tango star called Carlos Gardel, who was born in, in Toulouse in France and then immigrated with his mum to Buenos Aires, and who after that became a big star through TV and radio. And it's very interesting because as soon as tango starts to be sung, it starts to be sung by men, mainly. So all the lyrics are from the men's point of view. And you're, the very interesting aspect of that is that before that, the men are, in Argentina, they're very macho. It's, uh, you know, they're like, very strong. It's a culture of gauchos, so people from uh, cowboys of La Pampa, which is the nature, the, the landscape around Buenos Aires. And, it's a massive country, Argentina, so they go on their horses for ages, the guitar on the back. And, and it's, a, it's a culture of, if you don't respect me, I'm going to kill you. And they're not joking with that. At, at a time, they all had a knife with them. And there were very frequently people dying uh, in, in, this, in street fights. And then when, what happens is then when Carlos Gardel starts singing and the song starts, they start opening their, ah, their heart and they start saying, actually, I'm, I'm suffering because you left me. It's principally love stories and suddenly the, the man, which is very macho, I'm the strongest in the earth, suddenly becomes, yeah, but you know, I'm absolutely nothing without you. <laughs> and, and bear in mind that there's not enough women there. So it's a big thing for them to find a woman. and. I, the, the, at the beginning of Sango, men were actually dancing together to practice because a woman won't dance with a man if he was not good enough. So they were dancing together to practice and then they were into this, you know, singing that, I, I love you, they're, they're saying that so much, I love you, that, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Almost devalued. <laughs> Question for further back. Is, is the tango mainly in uh, a minor key because of the nature of the bandolion, or is it just because of the misery of being away from home? 
I would say it's much more to do with the, the subject matter, with the sense of what the tango is. A bit like how the fado is in Portugal. Invariably, it's a song about lost love or broken love or hopeless love. And so, naturally, minor keys come to the fore. Is there any Bandonian reason for it, as the lady was asking? No, it, Bandonian is completely chromatic. Um, it's a crazy instrument, but it, it's, it's chromatic. Time for one more. In the Stravinsky piece, what I'm intrigued to know is, did the princess get out of bed? <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, there was a tango involved, so I'm tempted to ask you, is the Pope a Catholic? <laughs> of course she gets out of bed and she dances her socks off. On that note, together with Tango Volcano and the BBC Concert Orchestra, we will perform one final tango for you. This is probably the most famous, most celebrated tango of all time. It's called La Compasita, which means the little carnival procession. It was written in 1917 by a great tango composer, Matos Rodriguez, a Uruguayan composer. And uh, you could say this is the most celebrated tango. This is to the tango, probably, what the Blue Danube is to the waltz.
Charles, Hazelwood conducting members of the BBC Concert Orchestra and Tango Volcano in that performance of the tango La Compasita. And that ends today's Discovering Music. The programme was presented by Charles Hazelwood and produced by Sam Phillips.